Support for OPB comes from our members and from our sponsors, like Mike Rosenberg from Columbia Credit Union. Mike says they trust what they see and hear on OPB, and that aligns with Columbia Credit Union's brand. From the Gert Boyle Studio at OPB, this is Think Out Loud. I'm Dave Miller. Sea otters, those adorable, deep-diving, back-floating, shellfish-eating mammals, were once found up and down the Pacific coast. And then came the maritime fur trade. By the beginning of the 1900s, 99% of sea otters had been killed. Now the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service is considering reintroducing sea otters in Oregon. Michelle Zwarchis is a supervisor for the agency's Oregon Coast Field Office. She joins us now. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much. Glad to be here. So about a month ago, you held a series of open houses from the central California coast all the way up to Astoria. What were your goals for these meetings? We had a series of uh, 16 open houses in various coastal communities all up and down the coast. And our goal was to primarily raise public awareness uh, that the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service is in the very early stages of considering whether we might want to propose a reintroduction of sea otters in this area, in Northern California and in Oregon. And this stems from a feasibility assessment that we completed last year in 2022 at the direction of Congress. Uh, Congress had uh, asked the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service to evaluate the feasibility and cost of reintroducing sea otters in recognition of their role as a keystone species and their importance in um, maintaining balance in the uh, nearshore marine ecosystem. So we wanted to make sure people were familiar with our feasibility assessment. Um, that they know that these conversations are going on and that they have an opportunity to provide early input and ongoing input into this uh, conversation. We want to make sure everyone has a seat at the table. And uh, we were particularly interested in hearing from people in these coastal communities as to what factors they think it's important for us to consider as we evaluate whether we might want to take the next steps in uh, potentially proposing a reintroduction. I want to hear more about what you learned and what you heard from those more than a dozen meetings, but but what did you already learn based on that feasibility study? I mean, what do you now already know? Well, the conclusion of our study uh, was that the reintroduction of sea otters would provide a significant benefit to both the recovery of the species and to the restoration and maintenance of a healthy nearshore marine environment, um, particularly kelp and seagrass ecosystems that provide habitat for hundreds of, of species. Um, so. We already know that uh, there would be this likely very beneficial effect of reintroducing sea otters from a biological and ecological perspective. But we identified the greatest source of uncertainty being the potential socioeconomic impacts 
of a reintroduction. And that's where we really want to reach out to uh, coastal community members and stakeholders that could be affected by a reintroduction to gather more information on that question. What would the potential socioeconomic impacts be? And what should we be rolling into any kind of more rigorous evaluation um, should reintroduction consideration continue? Um, one of the important caveats is that we have not identified uh, particular areas where reintroduction might occur. So that would be one of the most significant next steps that we could take so that we could do a more targeted assessment of the economic impacts in those areas. So you you, you say you haven't um, figured out the, the exact locations, but my understanding is that you do know, at least broadly, that you're talking about Oregon. Is that right? Oregon and Northern California, yes. That is that is the largest um, gap, largest remaining gap in the historical range of the sea otter. Um, Oregon is the only Pacific Coast state that does not have a sea otter population. Um, there are sea otters that have begun to recover in California. Those are recovering from a very small population that survived the fur trade there off the coast of um, Big Sur. So... There are about 3,000 southern sea otters in California today. Those are uh, different subspecies that are listed under the Endangered Species Act. And then in Washington, uh, northern Washington coast, we have northern sea otters that were reintroduced in the 1960s and 1970s. But there's almost a 900-mile gap between central California and the Washington coast where there are no sea otters any longer. What lessons have you taken from earlier reintroduction efforts? The introductions of the 1960s and 1970s, we know that those um, often resulted in high levels of dispersal from those sites very early on. So we now know that sea otters have a very strong uh, homing tendency and an affinity for a particular home range so that if you are capturing and translocating adult uh, wild otters, you can expect there to be relatively high numbers of animals that will leave the site um, almost immediately. And try to go back to, to what they know as home? As far as we know, uh, the, the reintroductions that occurred in the 60s and 70s, those animals were actually not tagged, so we don't know for sure. Um, but we do know from a more recent reintroduction that occurred in San Nicolas Island, one of the Channel Islands in Southern California, where many of those animals were tagged, that they can travel hundreds of miles to try and return to their site of capture or return to the mainland. Um, so that's one lesson learned. Well, that's, um, that seems like a... A, a big and challenging lesson to apply if you're talking about a 900-mile stretch that used to have um, sea otters in, in parts of it and doesn't now. How do you um, just get over that first hurdle of the the rehoming instinct of these sea otters? Well, there's, there's several different um, methods that could be considered, and we suggest several of them in our feasibility assessment but we do suggest them as um, kind of experimental pilot studies because we do not know what may work best. But some of the suggestions are, I mean, you can consider, even though you do lose large numbers of individuals initially, those reintroductions were almost all 
ultimately successful. So the reintroductions of the 60s and 70s that took place in Southeast Alaska and British Columbia and Washington, even though they got down to very low numbers, have ultimately resulted in about a third of all the sea otters in the world today. So ultimately they were successful. Hmm. So that traditional kind of method of translocation is one possibility. Another possibility is looking at the potential for using surrogate reared pups from uh, aquaria, where stranded pups are brought in and raised by uh, females that are in captivity at the Monterey Bay Aquarium. They teach those pups to groom and to forage, and they are released into an estuary environment in Elkhorn Slough near uh, Monterey. And those releases have resulted in very high levels of retention. So about 90% of those animals stay in place. So that's a possibility is that you could potentially look to these pups as a source for reintroductions. And then the third option is that you might consider a hybrid option where you combine the translocation of uh, wild otters with supplementing pups from a captive reared environment. I want to go back to the meetings that you held um, from the uh, Northern California coast all the way up through the the Northern Oregon coast. Mm-hmm. As you said, the you uh, you do know that there are clear biological and ecological benefits to the reintrodu- reintroduction of sea otters, but the question before you was more about the the socioeconomic effects of this, what this would mean for people or for fisheries. What kinds of concerns did you hear from commercial fishermen or crabbers or other people on these coasts? Yeah, we heard a wide variety of uh, perspectives. It was really interesting. And I have to say, so wonderful to be able to go out and actually be able to speak with people one-on-one and have really in-depth, meaningful conversations and really understand um, what their perspectives and their values are and how they're thinking about this. Um, So it was an incredibly valuable um, experience. Um, It's a difficult thing because there are, there's no kind of standard metric for measuring what the effects might be because some of the effects might be financial. So you can measure them in terms of dollars, but a lot of what we heard from people is that they have, you know, other values that could be affected They uh, place great weight on righting a historical wrong or just on their ability to see sea otters and the personal satisfaction um, that they take from that. So trying to figure out, you know, what is kind of a standard way of weighing and evaluating all those things is very challenging. Um, Some people were incredibly excited about the possibility of sea otters being restored to the Oregon coast and the value that they might bring in terms of helping to restore the kelp systems and finfish fisheries and the wildlife viewing opportunities. Um, We've heard that from many of the um, tribes that they place great cultural value um, on having sea otters back in the system. And then from various shellfish fishers, again, within that particular sector, a very wide variety of opinions. On the one hand, we had you know, some abalone divers in the San Francisco Bay Area that we were talking to who are absolutely adamant that we have to bring sea otters back because they've seen the devastation 
of the kelp forests down there and feel like it's an important thing to do to restore balance in that system. On the other hand, we talked to some abalone divers who were like, absolutely not. We, you know, we are sure that this is going to mean that we will never be able to reopen the abalone fishery. So we don't even want to entertain the possibility of bringing sea otters back. The other concern that we've heard from folks in fisheries is that they are feeling very much impacted by multiple factors, including, for example, whale entanglement issues and uh, trying to avoid those with with their crowd pots. The closure of the salmon fishery um, this year, you know, many of these folks are involved in multiple fisheries. So um, for this, you know, for them, this is just one more one more obstacle for them to deal with. So that's understandable. Michelle Zwarches, thanks very much. You're very welcome. Michelle Michelle Zwarches is a supervisor for the Oregon Coast Field Office of the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. If you're just tuning in, we're talking right now about the possible reintroduction of sea otters to Oregon's coast. We're going to get two more perspectives on this right now. The Alaka Alliance is a nonprofit based in Siletz. It's been advocating for the return of sea otters to the Oregon coast for more than five years now. Jane Bakary is the executive director of the group. Peter Hatch is an enrolled member of the Confederated Tribes of Siletz Indians and the secretary of the board of the nonprofit. Welcome to you both. Thanks for Thank having you. us. Peter Hatch, first, I understand that your father was really one of the initial forces behind this effort. What drove him? Um, well, thank you. Uh, that's a really wonderful question. Um, so uh, my father was a, a military brat, grew up everywhere between uh, Virginia and Thailand. Um, but always felt rooted um, from um, his father's side of the family, from the tribal side um, here in Oregon and, and especially on the coast um, where our, our family is from. Um, and so um, as soon as he lived here, always was deeply concerned with, um, you know, the health of our, our lands and waters and trying to understand the difference between the um, historical abundance of Oregon, um, uh, of, the, of all these places that we love and all the, uh, the relationships that our, our folks relied upon to live um, and the, you, you know, the, the problems, the decline, the, the, the lack of balance that we see now. Um, so a manifestation of that was um, when I was nine years old, we built a, a sailing dinghy together. Um, and uh, coming up with a name for that, he, he was looking in a, a dictionary of uh, Chinook jargon or Chinook Wawa, um, the kind of trade language uh, here uh, for our region, and uh, came up with Ilaka for sea otter. And that really led him down a path of um, inquiry and, and connecting people um, to... Uh, understand why we didn't have sea otters and why that matters, what what that could mean ecologically if we were able to bring them back. Um, and so that involved um, uh, marine mammal specialists like Deb Duffield of uh, Portland State University or archaeologists um, like uh, Roberta Hall um, and Virginia Butler, uh, bringing together the 
historical remains of uh, sea otters, the, the bones from uh, the middens of, of our uh, folks' ancient sites up and down the coast uh, to try to understand what we could about the historical Oregon sea otter population, see if that had any, any implications for reintroduction, and, uh, you know, begin that process of, of learning all we could um, in, in a way that would hopefully, in, in his view, uh, lead toward uh, a reintroduction and a reestablishment of that balance and all the ecological benefits that that would come, um, you know, not just to the nearshore ecosystem, but in all the in all the other ecosystems that are interconnected with that one uh, hmm. with the kelp forest. Um, and so, um, uh, so after his passing in, in 2016, um, a bunch of us got together and, and decided that it was uh, that the time was right to really um, build on that legacy and and really make a go of it. Jane McCary, I want to hear more about the cultural pieces here, but um, but we just heard from Peter Hatch a little bit about kelp forests. Um, what role do sea otters play in a marine landscape? So sea otters are considered a keystone species, um, which means they have a significant impact on the structure and function of the ecosystems within which they exist. Another example of a keystone species would be wolves, uh, for example, in Yellowstone. Uh, so when you remove a keystone species, in this case a top-level predator, um, you're removing redundancy in the system. So a good example that has happened all along the West Coast, including Oregon, is the sea star wasting disease over the past number of years has basically uh, caused the decimation of numerous species of sea stars, including the sunflower sea star. Sunflower sea stars uh, prey on sea urchins as do sea otters. When you remove both of those predators from the system, we have had an overabundance, overpopulation of purple sea stars in particular, which prey on kelp. So we've lost a lot of our kelp habitat. And so the hope uh, is, and, and the projection is, that if you, if you bring sea otters back, then a longstanding ecological balance could be restored and kelp forests, which themselves are hugely important, for for this this whole network they have a better chance of thriving. Exactly. You know, but putting back some resiliency into our system. Um, right now, with climate change, there's a lot of uncertainty with what might come next. But if we have the ability to bring back some of that diversity and complexity into our uh, marine uh, nearshore systems, um, we think it will be very beneficial for hmm. the future. Peter Hatch, can you give us a sense for the relationships between sea otters and indigenous peoples on the northwest coast, you know, to going back to age immemorial. Um, sure. Well, you know, I I do want to uh, speak from my own perspective, and it, it's not um, not my place to tell um, other folks from other tribes uh, how to think or feel. Um, but the plain truth of it is that. Um, whatever your perspective, as, as long as there have been, um, you know, human footprints on the shore of this region that we love up until just a couple of short generations ago, uh, we have always, uh, shared this region with sea otters. And, um, so, so it's important to think about, um, what you know the lack of them that we've been experiencing as as just a little um blip in that grand scope of time that hopefully we can overcome um 
And I think that, you know, um, as with any of the really uh, charismatic beings that uh, we share our, our lands and waters with, sea otters are all over the traditional uh, oral literature of the Pacific Northwest. Um, uh, from my own background um, as a as a Hannes Kuss uh, person and descendant, I I think a lot about um, one particular story uh, told by a, a Kuss elder by the name of Annie Minor Peterson, um, who talked about a young Kuss woman who married out among the sea otter people and had children and then uh, went to to visit her um, human family back on land um, uh, to kind of formalize the marriage and and, and bring gifts and uh, establish that interconnection. Um, and, and she says as she returns uh, back out to sea uh, to return to her husband and her sons um, that um, that they are not just sea otters, they are persons, just their clothes are sea otter hides. As long as you live that long a time, uh, will uh, sea otter will always give you whale. Um, as long as I have my own skin, that long a time will you see me, um, even if only one person be alive. Um, so that to understand, um, you know, not not just sea otters, that, that among a great big constellation of, of stories and relationships, um, but not as not as resources to exploit, but as, as relatives that we have a responsibility to, um, and that we have, uh, failed in that responsibility. You know, um, when we look back at the history, um, when those last few Oregon sea otters, uh, were so few that they were commanding a really high price just for one otter skin. Um, a lot of those, uh, last sea otter hunters, um, making uh making a living off you know the tremendous windfall of thousands of dollars uh adjusted for inflation from just getting one sea otter um a lot of the people doing that hunting were tribal folks and and so i i think that um all of us as, as humans uh in my view owe a debt and and have a have a wrong that we've all had some hand in to, to try to uh correct to restore that balance um and uh, uh, and that interrelationship that that story gets to. Jane Bacary, we, we heard from Michelle Zwarchus earlier from U.S. Fish and Wildlife that they're in the early stages of considering if they might want to propose reintroducing <laughs> sea otters. Uh, that's, you know, federal bureaucracy for you. What's the potential timeline here? So um, I can't speak for the service, but we recently updated our strategic plan and uh, we... Uh, have projected five to seven years as a potentially realistic timeline for having otters in the water. Um, that doesn't mean that you have a viable population of sea otters. I think as Michelle referenced, often the population uh, can decline pretty significantly after reintroduction happens. And so it would take a number of years, uh, 10, 20 or more, to realize what we would consider a sustainable population of sea otters. And at that point, is there a chance that Oregonians would see these sea otters? Or is that too much to hope for? 
No, I don't think it's too much to hope for at all. In fact, a year and a half ago, uh, there was a lone sea otter off of Yunquinahead that they think came down from uh, Washington. People saw that animal, and lots of people went to Yunquinahead to see that animal. So um, the populations might be small, but they would likely be visible in certain areas depending on where the relocation sites were. Just briefly, I've heard that about 90% of the sea otters in the world are in Alaska now. Would Oregon be anything like Alaska in terms of sea otter population or habitat? Um, The simple answer is no. Um, The coastline of Alaska is very different than the coastline of Washington, Oregon, and California. Um, And so there's relatively shallow in southeast Alaska. There's lots of coves and nooks and crannies. It's kind of sea otter habitat heaven. Um, And they have, there's areas where they can, you know, spread to. Um, Because we have a linear coastline, uh, on the rest of the West Coast here, even if you look at the extent that the populations have uh, spread and, and grown in uh, Washington and California, it has not been great. And so we have uh, geographic limitations to how uh, how vast the population, how big they would grow. Historically, um, researchers think that we probably had no more than four to 5,000 sea otters along the entire Oregon coast before hunting. And so, you know, you know, it's, it's unlikely we'd ever get back to that number. Jane Bakary and Peter Hatch, thanks very much. Thank you. Jane Bakary is the executive director of the Alaka Alliance. Peter Hatch is the secretary of the board of the nonprofit. They joined us to talk about the possibility of the reintroduction of sea otters on Oregon's coast.